0: Did he write a hard-boiled crime drama series with lots of blood and guts? Or some other incarnation? In all the excitement, I kind of lost track myself. Being that this is the internet, the most powerful purveyor of information in the world, and would blow library books clean off the shelf, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? You've got to ask yourself, did Fitton write a classic murder mystery with a highfalutin crime buster named Inspector McBrain? Who knows every forensic avenue into solving a crime? No, sir. How about some skewed murder mystery with very odd and mischievous characters who help Coach Matthias Jones find murderers? The Matthias Jones mysteries are not your typical crime detective series. Jones weaves his way in and out and around daffy characters while dealing with the bad guys and serious law enforcement. When I was a kid, and now that I'm a big kid, I was influenced and am influenced by TV. All the detective shows of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, The Rockford Files, Hawaii Five-O, Magnum PI, and a host of others. And the silly comedy shows, Hogan's Heroes, McHale's Navy, Greenacres, and as the early Gilligan's Island ended, and the rest. Before I turn the key and start this podcast in earnest, let me identify the main characters in the Jones series. Jones is the coach of three sports at a very, 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 very parochial college in the town of Hamilton in southeast New Hampshire. What the hell is the coach doing investigating murders? The answer comes in the first book of the series, Rest in Peace Bill Jones. Jones's father was a solid, no-nonsense investigator in Indiana who was murdered, Jones became immersed in his father's work from a young age, but found his calling in coaching. When his father was murdered, Jones begins his first investigation with the man who will become his best friend, Coco Stefani. Stefani has been sent to lure Jones back to Hamilton College in New Hampshire. Eventually, Jones accepts the coaching job, but can't seem to stay away from investigating murders. Let's take a look at the different characters in the Matthias Jones series. The main characters, Coco Stefani, I ain't got time for any of this Jonesy, a local hoodlum with ties to the Boston Mafioso. Coco owns Club Max in Prince William, New Hampshire and secretly works with the Fletcher family, specifically Hamilton Fletcher, to float money into the college. Coco is adamantly anti-drugs after his brother Anthony's destructive life on drugs. Hamilton Fletcher, Call Jones on the phone
1: right away!
0: The irascible, the cantankerous, the money-grubbing bastard who rules the town of Hamilton and Hamilton College like a dictatorial regime. He lives in a mansion atop Fletcher Hill, north of town. The Fletcher and Hall families have been in Hamilton for over 200 years. He has a hapless son named Ham who runs the sales force of his East Coast paint company based in Prince William. Hamilton's wife Dorothy is deceased. He has a wild daughter in California named Anna and a cousin PJ in Chicago. Lark Larson. Heidi Ho! The coach who preceded Jones at Hamilton College. Everyone in town loved Lark Larson. Problem is, he couldn't win games. He would have wonderful spaghetti suppers and dances. Lark would recruit eccentric players with weird personalities who occasionally show up in the town years later. To put it bluntly, Lark's judgment is always suspect. And he used to run plays that were equally as bizarre as his players. Lark, even at his advanced age, likes the ladies. Lark's girlfriend is an olive oil type character with the name Flo Nightingale, Miss Nightingale. Bucky Driscoll, hey, this guy knows security. Coco has been known to say, don't get me going about Driscoll that rodent. Bucky is a security cop in his little bug car at Hamilton College and also the illegitimate son of Hamilton Fletcher. Bucky is the head bumbler and stoopnagel in Hamilton. Arnie Doers. yeah, yeah, yeah. Arnie is unconventional and goes by his own rules. His signature move is smoking a lit cigarette next to gas pumps and then tossing the cigarette on the cement. Arnie is a conniver and a premier liar. He inherited his father's lumberyard off the railroad tracks in Hamilton. Bucky and Arnie as a team can be counted upon to find or make trouble. Franny McShane. Franny, a waitress at the Colonial House restaurant, has been in love with Jones since the moment he stepped into town, but Jones, for a long time, doesn't get it. Then he suddenly has an epiphany and falls in love with Franny. They become engaged and later eventually married. George Strickland. Police business is serious business, Matthias. Strickland is one of the normal residents of Hamilton and there aren't very many. But his wacky deputy, Wendell Harris, owes his job to his Uncle Pinky on the state police force. Father Jim Gallagher, a rector at St. Bart's Parish in Prince William, where Jones and Strickland attend services. Coco Stefani gives money to the parish and occasionally ends up in church. Gallagher is a former New England boxing champion and a close friend of Jones. Tom McGill, Jones's buddy who now owns the Hamilton Enterprise. Herbert Lane, the pompous, the overbearing, the arrogant, the egocentric district attorney who hides his jealousy for Jones by despising him. Kip Bosco, arrogant Prince William vice cop on the take. Bosco is always going to beat somebody up as he eats a Big Mama's donut. Other ancillary characters include school dean Nigel Kent, team manager Leo Crowley, Jones' assistant coach Woozy Williams, Jones's Aunt May in Indiana. Snooky McKenzie, the oddest man alive who mysteriously appears during Hamilton's sporting contest, years after playing for Lark Larson. Jerry Sinclair, a beat reporter, a throwback, former owner of the Hamilton enterprise. Bruno, Coco's head bartender at Club Max and his go-to guy for getting things done. Mayor Picata, the crooked mayor of Prince William. The obnoxious Roland Chance, assistant to Herbert Lane. Charlie DePiro, crime boss in Boston who was overthrown by Mr. Fiore, and then rescued by Jones and Coco, thus dethroning Fiore. Hollings and Juan Eater, servants of the Fletchers. Arlo Wombat, very strange disc jockey at W.O.F.I. I'm Arlo Wombat. Okay, Dr. Edinger, the weatherman for W.O.F.I. I am Dr. Edinger with the weather this morning. It'll be very cool. Lex Larson, a very little man and son of Locke Larson. B.B. and Silky, two of Coco's club girls. Okay, if you're still with me, here's the Prince William Slasher. A Matthias Jones Mystery by R.P. Fitton. The Prince William Slasher. Chapter 1. Jones's Office, Hamilton College Gymnasium, Hamilton, New Hampshire. An obsessive killer is neither obsessed nor a killer in his own mind. He seeks a fervid revenge based on a perceived or a real injustice. Jones looked up at a huge boned man with a square jar and bulging blue eyes. The guy had a deep crevice in his brow and looked as if he were confused about life. He held a long piece of chalk. On the black chalkboard in the locker room, he had drawn offensive and defensive alignments for what he labeled his secret football plays. Jones almost lost his balance in Lark's old shaky oak chair. Who did you say you are? Well, I'm Froggy Finley. I'm your assistant coach. I never hired an assistant coach. What are you, ignorant? Jones leaped from the chair and exited into the locker room. You come in here and you start flapping your trap. Now beat it. The towering, broad-shouldered Froggy pounded the chalk on the board as he spoke. The heart of an offense in the defense includes the players in the middle of the offensive formation and the defensive alignment. Yeah, well, that's nice, Froggy. Now run along. I'm trying to change this ridiculous recruiting system. Ridiculous, exclaimed Froggy, leaning in Jones's face. That system is the time-tested keys to victory that Locke used for years. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the keys never started the engine. Froggy clenched his fist and moved it in a circular motion. I ought to cold cock you for that remark. Froggy, I've got two words for you. What's that? Asked Froggy, his hands on the desk. You're fired. Froggy placed his hands on his hips. I only take orders from Locke Larson. Yeah, you do that. You can track him down on his worldwide cruise. Now kindly leave before I call campus security. Hey, smartass, we don't have a campus security anymore. Well, we have Lester, wherever the hell he is. So there. No security on campus? Well, we need it with the Prince William Slasher on the loose. Right. Froggy then pouted and sat in the red vinyl chair next to the desk. Jones shrugged his shoulders and punched in the number of the Hamilton police station on the desk blotter.
1: Hamilton, this is Ned.
0: Ned, this is Matthias Jones.
1: Oh, top of the monitor to you, coach.
0: It's one o'clock, Ned.
1: I was just telling Wendell. Today will be sunshine all the way.
0: Right. Ned, I need some help with my office on campus. Froggy's face reddened as his anger grew. Ned, I have a disturbance over here.
1: The slasher?
0: No, not the slasher.
1: Four women dead in six weeks?
0: Well, I have a problem right here on campus.
1: Wendell's in the jaunt, but if he ever gets out, I'll send him over.
0: Where's George? Asked Jones.
1: Don't rightly know. Think he's doing some shopping at Delmonico's Market.
0: Then send Wendell.
1: Oh, Wendell doesn't like to be disturbed while he's in the jaunt.
0: Just send him over here call ended and jones stared at the receiver people of this town aren't happy about you jones said froggy froggy i'm in charge you're gone and lark's gone you heartless bastard jones again fought his way out of the unstable chair how many games did lark win froggy lark was winning before you were born creep i'll tell you what his record was he had 37 wins and 250 losses not exactly a stellar performance. And Froggy, you were a part of the disaster. Oh, so you're a liar, too. Look, the cops are on their way. They can boot you out. <laughs> right, like did arrest Locke Lawson's assistant. I ain't moving. I'm going out to the soda machine, and I'd advise you to put your keys on the desk and get out before I come back. Jones headed I out the door as Froggy keys. grumbled. You'd better tell it to the cops. Right, Amundo, said Froggy, crossing his legs. Cops are too busy chasing down the slasher, anyway. Jones stopped and slowly turned. I think you're overreacting. Oh, and you're so smart you don't even know about the slasher. No, I don't. Froggy laughed and looked away. I ain't telling you nothing. Fine. Jones, coke in hand, walked back from the soda machine toward the gym. Wendell's cruiser rounded the circular drive outside the lobby. Jones entered the lobby and opened the outside doors. Student problem, Matthias? Asked Wendell, walking inside. Froggy Finley. What about him? Asked Wendell as he moved into the gym. He won't leave my office. Wendell's face tightened. Well, he's your assistant coach. Why should he leave the office? Because he's not my assistant coach. Wendell stopped. You fired Froggy Finley? The man is a legend. Legend? He's a babbling fool. Wendell produced his honking laugh as they veered across the wood floor. That's Froggy being Froggy. Well, let Froggy be Froggy somewhere else. Oh, well, don't get Froggy mad. What? There'll be riots in the street. I don't think so. Hey, Wendell, what's this about the Prince William Slasher? I read an article this morning in the John. (laughs) Mayor Picada is in big trouble. If they don't catch the slasher, Picada will be thrown to the curb. Just how many people have been killed? Four. All women. The killer slashes them and then puts duct tape over their mouths or vice versa. No fingerprints? Nothing. They stepped into the locker room. Sounds like Picata has a problem on his hands. They're pressuring Don Pacheco and Kevin Phillips, the chief and the head detective. I know who they are, said Jones. The door to his office had been closed. Now what is he doing? Maybe Froggy wanted privacy, said Wendell. Jones jiggled the doorknob, but the door was locked. He looked through the office window. Where the heck is he? Wendell leaned to the far side of the window. I see him. He's hiding under the desk. Jones stared at Wendell and then saw Froggy's long clown sneakers and pant leg. He banged on the door. It's all over, Froggy. Let's go. I know how to get him out. How? Hey, Froggy, you just won Sal's number three burger special at the beach. Froggy's green sneakers twitched as Jones rolled his eyes. And you get a vanilla freeze with the fries. Froggy backed out. Incredible, said Jones. Froggy was now on his feet and the doorknob twisted. Come on, Froggy. I'll throw in the apple dapple. Thanks, Wendell. Froggy sneered at Jones. You reap what you sow, Jones. Wendell made a donkey face and escorted Froggy back into the gym. Jones checked his watch. Basketball practice was in four hours. With Froggy out of the way, he checked his notebook. His biggest hindrance in high school sports back in Indiana was Woozy Williams from North City. Woozy was also a friend. Having Woozy as an assistant coach in three sports would help him accomplish Hamilton Fletcher's goal of having winning teams. He punched in North City High School's number and was soon connected to the athletic department line, but the voicemail kicked in. Matthias Jones, formerly of Wabash Corners High School, this message is for Woozy Williams. Woozy, hope all is well with you and your family. Give me a call on my cell. Jones ended the call and found himself staring at photos of Lark and his teams, including baseball, basketball, and football action photos. A younger, dark-haired froggy appeared in dozens of shots from numerous playing fields. In one framed photo, Lark, dumbfounded, stood with a shorter and intense lester under the goalpost. Jones removed the photo from the wall. Mercy. His boys were out of shape and lacked basic basketball skills. Skip Olson threw the ball over everyone. It had bounced back and hit Spike Milligan in the back. When Gonzo McCracky pushed Biff Benson, Jones blew the whistle. I've never seen anything like this. He gestured with both hands. You can't win ball games without basics. If we don't win, we don't win, said a taller, blond haired kid. Who the hell are you? Light horse Harry. Okay, said Jones. Enough with the bizarre nicknames. I want your first and last name. I take it yours is Harry. No, my name is Mike. Jones looked at him with his mouth open. From now on, it's just Mike. Wicks. Mike Wicks. And Gonzo? I'm Joe McCrackie. How did you guys get these names? Coach Larson. He said it was for team morale. Wonderful. Biff, what's your name? Steve Benson. George Strickland, in uniform, appeared at the doors to the lobby down at the far end. Here's what we're going to do today and every day until the season ends in April. You're going to run around the campus, onto Route 7, up Fletcher Hill, and back to the gym. When you get back today, you can shower up. The bearded Leo Crowley, now team manager, sat in the lower bleachers and mowed the words, Wow. The team began walking toward the lobby. Jones began clapping. Come on, let's run. Leo and George Strickland converged on Jones at midcourt. You think they'll come back? Asked Strickland. That's their choice, said Jones. They're so out of shape. I don't think Lark ever made any of his teams run, said Leo. 37 and 250. Remember that number. It's Lark's record. I had a talk with Froggy, said Strickland. He'll stay out of your office. I have to say Wendell did get him out, said Jones. Froggy never met a meal he didn't like, said Leo. Hey, what's this about the Prince William slasher, George? Strickland's dark eyes opened wide. Prince William is terrified, and many people here in Hamilton are uneasy. Jones pinched his chin. Was the duct tape put on the victims before they were killed or after? Well, that's a good question. I don't think we know, said Strickland. The kill is M.O. is to pour gin all over the victim. Psycho, said Leo. Four women in six weeks, asked Jones. It was a murder in Hamilton two years ago. No tape, no gin, just the wounds of a probable seven-inch blade, like a razor. Now, this is why I bring it up, because the wound with the razor matches the four slasher murders in Prince William. Interesting, said Jones. What else? You know, the surrounding stuff? Seems to be a motorcycle involved, or something smaller, according to witness depositions. You're going to get your investigator's license? asked Leo. No, I am just a humble coach. Right, said Strickland. Ask those boys running up Route 7 if they think you're humble. Jones stayed in his office after the boys had showered. He had given them a pep talk and offered to buy them a meal at the Colonial House later. At least they had dropped the nicknames and he sensed they were happy about that, too. He heard some commotion in the gym. Hey, Matthias! Matthias! Jones hurried out of his office and into the gym. Arnie Dewis, cigarette-hanging from the corner of his mouth, swung hook shots upward. Muddy Jacobs cheered him on. Both men wore heavy, dirt chunk boots. Hey, get those boots off the gym floor! Bang! said Arnie, scoring a hook shot from the foul line. Muddy retrieved the ball and threw it back to Arnie. Arnie! yelled Jones as he ran across the floor. Hey, Matthias! We're challenging you to a shooting contest, said Arnie. I heard about the cruel and unusual tactics you use on your team. I'm just getting them in shape. I heard they were going to call the ASPCA, said Muddy. Jones creased his brow as he turned to Arnie. Get your damn boots off the floor and put out the cigarette. Touchy, touchy. No one comes on this floor without my permission. Oh, you're going to kick us out of here like you did poor Froggy, asked Muddy. Exactly. You'll never find another assistant coach like Froggy, said Muddy. You know what, Muddy, I agree with you. Locklet people in the gym, said Arnie. Some people are just tyrants, Muddy. Some people are nice guys. Arnie dropped the ball and they started toward the lobby. Arnie, too bad about you losing the Fletcher account, said Jones, returning his needling. Guess that means all the college work, too. Yeah, he's dealing with crosstown lumber. They get cheap wood from Slovenia. There's bugs in that wood. He'll have things go bad and he'll be calling me back. Don't count on it. Hey, I'm not the one under pressure to win, Kokomo. You'll be back at Wabern Falls. Wabash corners on goodbye. Aren't you going to say goodbye to me? Asked Muddy. I'm telling you both to beat it. Jones could hear Arnie render a few more touchy comments as they strutted out of the gym. Touchy! Touchy! touchy. His cell sounded. Aunt May was calling from Indiana. Aunt May!
1: Sweeble's wondering.
0: Oh, no. Oh, yes. Jones opened the door to the locker room. What's she wondering about? She's trying to find you. Why? She, She says she made a mistake. Which time, Aunt May? asked Jones, opening his door. Froggy left a bag of cheese crackers on the floor. It gets better, Matthias. What do you mean? He pitched the plastic bag in the trash. She's hired a private investigator. Oh, come on. It's over. Jones sat back in Lark's chair and his knees moved upward, but he held the desk. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. It's this crazy chair. The guy's name is Tony Cruz. Never heard of him.
1: He's from Vegas.
0: Vegas? How did she find him? Swell, Jones wrote down Cruz's name in his own notebook. Everyone knows where I am. Why hire an investigator?
1: You know Stephanie, she likes to do things her way.
0: Don't I know that. How are you doing? Things are real discombobulated here. Our team needs a lot of work. They don't know the basics and they're out of shape. Other than that, we'll sweep it all. I need a new chair. What? Not important. Hamilton Fletcher's name flashed on the screen. I have a call coming in from Mr. Fletcher.
1: You best take it.
0: I best. I'll talk to you later, Aunt May. He pushed the button. Matthias Jones. Jones? I saw your entire team invade my estate this afternoon, and then run back down Fletcher Hill. Well, sir, he began as his stomach fluttered. That action is highly unusual, to say the least. Sir, I can explain
1: prepare, then everything goes to hell. You get that team in
0: shape. Well, they need basics also, Hamilton. Absolutely. I can see I made the right move in bring you to Hamilton. Keep up the good work, my boy. Then he just hung up. No goodbye, no see you later, just dead air. Jones stared at the receiver. A pudgy man with wide shoulders, a flat nose, a cross between Babe Ruth and a pit bull knocked on the doorframe. He wore a green sweatshirt with white lettering and matching hat. St. Pat's. Can I help you? He held out his oversized hand. Mac Connor, I coach St. Pat's. We're on your schedule in three sports. Jones struggled to get out of the chair. Told Lark a hundred times to dump that chair. Nice to meet you, Mac, said Jones. Mac had a tight grip. Well, it was time for Lark to step down. He's on a world cruise. Maybe he'll find out the world isn't flat, <laughs> said Mac, laughing. He doesn't believe that, does he? asked Jones. Well, now your high school team from Indiana went all the way last fall. We did. Very coachable kids. Well, that may be true, but it helps to know what you're doing. Nothing against Lark. He's a dear man. 37 and 250? Yeah, said Mac, sighing. What brings you over here, Mac? Well, my sister lives in Newtown. I thought I'd take a jaunt over the hills. I'm glad you did. Say, Mac, I'm buying dinners at the Colonial House for my team tonight. You want to join us? Under one condition. What's that? As long as your assistant coach isn't there. Froggy has been given his walking papers. Ah, the broom suite's clean. I'd be glad to join you. The Prince William Slasher, Chapter 2 Colonial House restaurant, Hamilton, New Hampshire. Franny had cordoned off the rear of the restaurant for Jones, Mac, and the basketball team. McCrackie rocked his head back and forth as he looped his arm over the table and sent the crumpled up napkin into the air toward Mike Wicks, but Jones blocked the shot. The dark-haired Wicks held his red Hamilton cap like a basket and looked stunned that Jones was quick enough to stop the napkin shot. Steve Benson flipped the napkin between his hands and attempted a line-drive napkin shot into Wicks' hat. Jones' left hand intercepted the napkin in midair. How did you learn that trick, coach? asked the curly-haired McCrackie. Actually, said Jones, nibbling on a breadstick, what I did is an important principle in basketball, in fact, all sports, and in life itself, said Mac, his arms folded across his chest. See, Mac knows, and his teams know. Napkins? asked Wicks, his hat now back on his head. Franny brought over a tray of buffalo wings and soft drinks. As she unloaded the tray, Jones stood. He began waving his arms and yelling. Franny smiled over her shoulder as she placed the drinks on the table. Now what are you guys watching? asked Mac. Exactly right, McMack, said Jones. He waved his hands again. See his hands, said McCracky. Coach's energy, said Wicks, sipping on the Coke. Wrong, replied Mac. Coach is right, said Jones as he sat down. I know the answer, Matthias, but I'll button up. Write it on a napkin, Franny. We'll check later. Franny wrote on the back of one of her slips. I'm an avid sportsman, and I played sports. She handed the slip to Jones. Jones's face brightened, and he looked up at her. Very good, Franny. You've got it. What's the answer? Asked Steve. "'If you get it, I'll tell you,' said Jones. "'Oh, come on, coach,' said McCracky. Jones cut his steak and lifted a morsel onto the fork. "'If you figure it out, you'll remember it.' "'How's the steak, coach?' "'Perfect. Thank you, Franny.' To his left, in a Hawaiian shirt, Wendell in a gum-chewing blonde in a tight angora sweater slid into the booth. "'Wendell,' said Jones. "'Hey, Matthias, a little team party?' Just keeping the boys eating good food. I always eat the most healthy, said Wendell. Oh, yeah, like hot dogs and chips, said the blonde. Not now, Lulu. And all that Mexican food, said Lulu, holding her nose. Backfire. Wendell raised his voice. Coming from a stink bomb like you. Stink bomb? Yeah, those burritos sounded like basic training on the firing range. That's enough. She said. Franny fought back laughter as she stood with her notepad. Lulu pushed Wendell, and he landed square on his buttocks. "You're under arrest," Jones set down the next fork of steak and exited the booth. "Come on, you two. I'm sure you came here for a good time." "No, oh, that was later," <laughs> cackled Wendell. "Not now. It isn't," yelled Lulu. "Wait. Why don't you just order a nice meal and let it settle?" Lulu leaned against Wendell's shoulder. "Sure, Wendell." You are going to tell me how you solved the Prince William Slasher murders. There, Wendell, you're all set. Come on, Wendell, Boo Boo. Jones rolled his eyes and returned to the booth. I have the answer, coach, said Wicks. Oh, what is it? Anticipate the move. That's very good, Mike, except you'd have to be right 100% of the time. Not the answer? Nope, said Jones, digging into the stake again. He began chewing. Mac, what do you do during the summers? "'Family vacays, trout fishing up north, sometimes Canada. Camps. Let's line up a weekend for fishing when summer rolls around.' Jones paused and sipped his coffee. "'What kind of camps?' "'Baseball early on before summer football practice.' "'Oh, good idea.'
1: "'Well, well, well,'
0: said a scratchy voice behind him. A diminutive woman with blue-gray hair folded her arms across her white sweater." Next to her was a lanky younger man with silver-rimmed glasses. Her voice was a cross between a blackboard scratch and a bee-sting screech. "'So, you're the one replacing the "'You might want to introduce yourself, mother,' said the man, looking away. She sneered at her son as her blue eyes opened wide. "'You know, your father never had social formalities, either.' "'I'm Matthias Jones,' said Jones, extending his hand. The man in the silver-rimmed glasses... As the man in the silver-rimmed glasses went to extend his hand, the older woman slapped his wrist. I'm Cora Jefferson. This is my son, Courtney. I own Jefferson's hardware. Hey, you don't look as dumb as Lawson. Mother, show some respect. Pleased to meet you both. Did Lawson really go on that worldwide cruise? Asked Mrs. Jefferson. Yes, he did. She squinted her little blue eyes with surrounding Crow Peaks. I'll bet dollars to donuts he never paid a cent for it. He still owes me $7.39. Kiss that goodbye. Jones removed a $10 bill. Here, pay off Locke's bill and put the rest on my account. On account of he's a good guy, (laughs) said Courtney, laughing. Mrs. Jefferson jabbed Courtney's side. Ouch! If you're going to crack a joke, at least make it funny. I'll stop by, said Jones. (laughs) Don't bother unless you're going to buy something. "'And Locke always paid cash.' She pushed Courtney back across the restaurant. Franny brought more soft drinks for the team. "'Congratulations, Matthias.' "'What's that, Franny?' "'You have just met the world's most cynical woman.' "'I thought she looked familiar,' said Jones. "'Coach, the answer to your question is not to get rattled. "'You're getting warm, Joe.' "'Hey, Matthias,' said Wendell. "'Maybe you can answer this, since you're an investigator.' I'm not an investigator, Wendell. Two years ago, we had a slashing right here in Hamilton. I say it was the Prince William Slasher. That's a while back, Wendell. Didn't this Prince William thing start four months ago? Darlene Devineau was slashed just like the others. Probably not related to the Prince William Slasher, Lulu. Two years is a while ago. She owned the Alouette Boutique across from the stadium, said Wendell, slurping his coffee. Slashed on a Saturday. "'And all the other slasher murders are on Saturday?' asked Jones. "'Yup. And Darlene's murder is...' he leaned over and whispered. "'Unsolved. George really screwed it up. "'I would say as a layman, Wendell, that her murder was unrelated.' "'Pia and Darlene were good friends,' said Wendell. "'Pia tried to solve the murder.' "'Pia?' asked Jones. "'Pia is a trustee for the college,' said Wendell. "'Has big bucks.' "'Who is she?' asked Jones.' "'Oh, Pia was a top model in New York and L.A.' said Wendell. Wendell used his hands to outline the curves of her body. "'Now she's real hoity-toity in Prince William. Lots of moolah!' Lulu slapped Wendell's hand, making him laugh harder. (laughs) "'Was she really a model?' asked Jones. Wendell hit his shoulder. "'Why, you want to go out with her? She's older than you.' "'No, Wendell, I don't want to go out with her.' "'No, that's what they all say.' (laughs) Maybe she has information, said Jones, rolling his eyes. Someone heard the lawnmower when Darlene was murdered, said Lulu, again snapping the gum. Lawnmower at night, asked Jones. Franny came back with his steak and potato. Coffee warm-up? Thank you. Coach, we give up, said Steve. You mean you just don't have the answer? When you're guarding a guy with the ball, what are you looking at? His eyes, asked Mike. Jones shook his head. No, you can get faked out. Same with the arms and the legs. Keep an eye on his chest. When he makes a move, so will the chest. Harder to get faked out. Same if you're covering your man in football. Let him move his legs, his arms, his head, but his midsection, said Mac, raising his index finger. I did the same with your shoulder, Steve. You moved your hand back and forth. Your head snapped. But it wasn't until your frame moved that I knew where you were going. Basics? Jones nodded. That's why I sent you up Fletcher Hill this afternoon, not to be a hard ass, just to be one up on everything with all your opponents. Now enough with practice. Enjoy your meals, boys. Jones and his three players left the Colonial House and walked down the sidewalk, creating a loud ruckus as they neared the edge of campus. Now wait, said Jones, raising his hands. He climbed up on the wall next to the glowing red Hamilton College sign in front of the wide administration building. Don't think because you guys got dinner that you're not going to work your butts off. I need you practicing like you're in a championship game. It's all about working harder and correcting mistakes. I'll be right there with you, boys, if you have a problem. Or if I'm messing up, then meet with me after practice. I have to earn your respect. Did you really put a congressman in jail, Coach? asked Steve. Not personally, but I helped. He's still being prosecuted. Are you a cop? Asked McCracky. Jones smiled. No, I am not. My dad was an investigator. He jumped down and they started toward the stadium. Mac tells me we have untapped talent. Coach Larson told us we have a bad attitude, said Joe. Jones put his hand on Joe's shoulder. Bad attitudes take a long time to grow. Sometimes they can be nipped in the bud. Let's just forget what Coach Larson said. I prefer to take it from the top when I took over. They moved along the sidewalk shops. Jones studied the shadows over the stadium bleachers to his right. Darlene Devino," said Mike. Jones looked to his left. Isn't that the woman that was murdered? Right in there, said Mike. We were sophomores. Inside the darkened area behind the window were empty racks and shelves. The slasher used the same type of blade, said Steve. But no duct tape or gin, said Jones. What else do you guys know about the other murders? Mr. McGill would know. He's writing stories on the slasher, said Joe. Who's McGill? asked Jones. Steve pointed up the side street to a yellow brick building with glowing white letters. The Enterprise. Ah, the local newspaper, said Jones, as they headed toward the brick library that bordered the Shaker Music Conservatory. Spreading trees filled center field. In the trees is a ground rule double, Coach, said Mike. Who made that rule? Mike shrugged his shoulders. Never mind. I get it, but it must be 350 feet and rising if you hit it into those trees. Coach Larson said obstacles should be treated with respect. Jones squinted. I'll take it to the league. Jones had a quick tour of a few of the dorms and headed back into town in his room at the Marlboro Inn. His cell rang. He smiled and looked at the unknown number. Thias Jones. Let me guess, my boys called you about the Darlene Devineau murder.
1: Very good. I guess the stories about you are true.
0: Which stories? asked Jones as he laughed and put up the Windbreaker hood.
1: Well, they wanted similarities between the Devineau murder and the slasher in Prince William.
0: Yeah, they seem to think the slasher started here.
1: The blade was a seven inch razor, never found, and the case is unsolved.
0: McGill shuffled some papers.
1: on Saturday night.
0: Does that mean anything? Asked Jones. I think it
1: does in the four Prince William murders. Deverno was two years ago.
0: Jones walked with the phone to his ear under the hood. Any witness testimony on Deverno?
1: I asked Strickland's original questioning before the FBI got into it. The problem is, when the FBI took over, they left George in the lurch.
0: Are you investigating this? Well, no, but Tom, I think from talking to my team that people are scared. Especially if you live in Prince William. I heard the mayor is afraid they'll boot him out. What about this guy, Lane? Herbert Lane is out for one thing. Yeah, and what's that? Herbert Lane. The Prince William Slasher, Chapter 3. Club Max, Prince William, New Hampshire. Jones wore his new red Hamilton College jacket with gold trim and delivered to the Marlboro just this afternoon. He added his older jeans and boots. His rented van sputtered into a three-sided parking lot with cars and trucks that looked more like a new car lot. The van had lost its power three times in the hills. Club Max was spelled out in oversized pink letters above the front doors. Jones rolled around several rows and found a space along the chain-link fence overlooking the river in the distance. As he got out of the car, he spotted the span Strickland had called the Crosstown Bridge, they approached from the airport. The music inside the club shook the outside area even at this distance. On the phone, Coco had been excited about being able to show off the club after talking about it out west. He hinted about the girls in the club wanting to meet Jones. Jones was slightly hesitant about frequenting Club Max after a convincing lecture from Father Gallagher just a half an hour ago when he dropped off the basketball game passes at the St. Bart's Rectory yet he was about to step through the oversized Spanish panel door ahead. A tall man in a green silk shirt and gray slacks nodded at him and opened the door. The music now shook his bones as the bright lights blinded him at first. A long neon bar extended diagonal toward the rear of the club. To the side, a wood dance floor buzzed with partying patrons following the beat of a three-piece band up front. On the other side... Dark provided a game area for additional people. Others sat at round tables surrounding the dark games. You ain't gonna find a chick by standing at the door, Jonesy. Jones turned. Coco had a cigarette in his mouth. His silver earring reflected the spinning lights over the dance floor. He gave Jones a thumb-lock handshake. Nice place, Coco. I knew you'd like it, he said, moving his head toward the bar. Come on, I'll get you a beer, Jonesy. Great said Jones as he followed Coco toward the long bar. I could use a beer after that stupid van conked out three times. I told you to go to Godzilla Rentals. I know you did. Gallagher called. Why? asked Jones over the general noise. He told me not to let you get into trouble. Coco pulled two chairs back, turned. The man with wide shoulders and pushback black hair turned. Hey, Jones. Bruno. Get Jonesy a beer. "'Where's Holly?' "'Down back.' Coco looked over his shoulder. "'Good.' "'Coco, I didn't come here to pick up Holly.' "'Who said she'd give you the chance?' asked Coco. Jones smiled. "'Chance for what?' "'Don't be naive, Jonesy,' said Coco, grabbing two beers from Bruno. "'Come over to my private table.' Jones followed Coco over to the dart area. A small table under two yellow-lit wall lamps had three chairs. Coco set down the beers.' A humongous man in a New England Patriots shirt threw dart after dart into the bullseye. That guy is phenomenal, said Jones. And a big boy, laughed Coco, putting out his cigarette. But that's not his forte. Jones sipped his beer. What does he do? Man has a ridiculous memory. Nobody can beat Junior at trivia. Coco waved Junior over once he turned from the board. Junior had bushy hair and slits for eyes. He carried an oversized beer mug. Coco quickly moved another chair against the outside chair. Jonesy, this is Junior. Hey, what's up? Ask him a sports question, Jonesy. Okay. Walter Johnson's lifetime one loss record. Junior furrowed his brow and then sipped the beer. 417 279. You can look it up, said Coco. No, I think he's right. Of course he's right. Junior's never wrong. Petite blonde in a sharp maroon dress sauntered up to the table. She had thin, frosted lips. "'Hello, Junior.' "'Hey, Miss H.' Her blue eyes swung toward Jones. "'I'm Holly.' Coco placed another chair between Jones and Junior. Holly sat down. "'Take a break, Holly. How do you do?' She had a velvet voice. "'Coco tells me you tracked down your father's killer. I'm sorry.' "'We found him.' "'Frank Otoski,' said Junior. "'Now how the hell do you know that, Junior?' Junior tapped his index finger against his head. I'm not surprised. We had a full week of testimony last month," said Jones. "Frankie Ski got twenty-five to life. Yeah, and Sherman is all done," added Coco. "And the goof was out there," said Junior. "Lester asked Holly. She knows old Fishface," said Jones. "Very clever," said Holly, smiling again at Jones. No, Coco came up with that one, said Jones. We're his fish face now. Hopefully in Canada. I had to pay Picada a campaign donation just to stop Mr. Manzetti from suing my ass. What a wild man, said Holly. It's a wonder somebody didn't shoot Lester. <laughs> I came close, said Coco, real close. Say, coach, said Holly, her smooth hand holding Jones's hand. I get off at midnight. We'll catch up, said Jones as she stood. He watched her leave and then caught sight of Coco nodding. Eh, good line, Jonesy. Jones finished the beer. She's cute. Hey, Junior, play Jonesy at darts. I'll send a pitcher of beer over. I need to make a few calls out back. Coco moved between the tables as Junior finished his beer. You want to do uh, flaming shots? asked Junior. I'll pass on the shots, Junior, but I will play darts. Junior nodded. I'm right about Walter Johnson. I believe you. All I know and all I care to know is three thousand five hundred and eight strikeouts. That's a lot of KOs, Junior. Jones had not seen Coco in two hours. Junior lifted the flaming shot glass into the air. Incredibly, he swallowed the full concoction and instantly poured the beer into his mouth. Then he flung the dart into the bullseye. Outrageous, said Jones. Holly held onto his elbow. he just lost his third straight game. I can't beat you, Junior. <laughs> what is this, the Hustler? Asked Coco, appearing behind him. I told you he was good, Jonesy. Everything okay? Of course. Just a little bullshit with a rabble-rouser here in the club. Professor at the college, Davis. The old man has some bio-project going at the college, but the guy is out of control. Hamilton? No, wise guy, said Coco, smiling with a cigarette in his hand. The old man never lets nothing get in the way of making money. Holly started to leave. Catch you later, Jonesy. Jones watched her tight maroon dress merge into the crowd. Coco slid over and hit his arm. Not bad, Jonesy. There's nothing going on here, Coco, said Jones loudly over the saxophone. Yeah, right. Listen, I talk to people in Boston. "'There's credible word that Fish Face is back in New Hampshire. "'He has to face charges in Indiana,' said Jones. "'Who told you that?' "'Hey, you didn't hear nothing as far as the outside world goes.' Jones jested with his open palms. "'I'm the last one who wants to butt into Boston's business. "'Good choice.' "'Junior seems to know so much. "'He absorbs everything.' <laughs> "'Like flaming shots?' said Coco, pointing at Junior, "'holding another flaming shot.' "'Right.' Coco wrapped his wrist. Hey, I had Ralphie look at the van. It's a piece of... I know, I know. He put a Band-Aid on it. Turn that thing in tomorrow and see Mooch down at Godzilla. Thanks. My pleasure. Holly's a good girl, Jonesy. Treat her nice. Jones stared at the blue-rimmed clock nearing midnight. Half an hour ago, Coco had entered his main office to the right of his table. The music still rocked, and the dance floor was filled with constant motion under the blue and red spotlights. Jones had plans for Holly and wanted to dance with her and spend some time talking to her at one of the tables. He had forgotten that he had promised Father Gallagher he would be at 9 a.m. Mass. At quarter past twelve, he stood and began checking the tables for Holly. A short man in a checkered jacket stumbled into the lobby. At first, Jones thought he was drunk, but the man recovered and scampered toward Coco's office. He pounded on the door. Somebody opened the door and fluorescent light expanded into the club. Seconds later, Coco emerged behind the guy. His face tightened and he rounded the tables to the front door. Both men disappeared into the parking lot. Jones again checked the club for Holly and then headed for the front door. A few other people followed him outside. Coco stood around 50 feet away to Jones's left with a short guy in front of a gray Porsche. He stared at something on the asphalt and then raised a cell phone to his ear as he gestured and spoke into the phone. Jones felt as if he were moving in slow motion across the parking lot. At first he saw high heels and a woman's legs. Then the maroon dress merged with a spreading blood pool. His throat tightened and his jaw fell. Holly's neck had been sliced from the ear, midway across her throat. White duct tape sealed her frosted lips. Coco saw Jones and tried to push him back. It's a slash it, Jonesy, get back! Coco held both her hands. Jones did not look away until he saw her blue eyes still open. In the distance, police sirens slowly became louder. Soon the red and blue lights trailed along the river and brightened as the cruisers neared Club Max's parking lot. Jones backed up a few steps as several officers flew out of the cruiser. He stared at Holly's legs as other unmarked sedans arrived. Her throat was sliced like a knife into a slab of beef, and thin white duct tape covered her mouth. The pervasive smell of gin filled the night air. Her dress was bloodied. He spotted the sandy-haired Kevin Phillips looping on his sport coat over his blue shirt. What happened, Coco? asked Phillips. Coco spoke in a lower voice as he gently released Holly's hands. Darcy here saw one of my girls on the ground. He came in the club and got me out here. Junior heard a motorcycle and saw a gray hooded guy in a trench coat on a motorbike. Phillips winced when he saw Holly. He cleared his throat. Name a victim. Holly Withers. She lives here in Prince William, Canal Street. What did you see, Darcy? Asked Phillips, writing something on his notepad. "'I didn't hear a scream or anything. I heard a thud, and then I ran back. "'In the street, a small motorcycle buzzed away. I didn't see it. I heard it. "'Junior says he saw it.' "'You saw nothing,' said Phillips. "'Jones noticed blood splatter down Holly's arm and the blood-saturated dress. "'To her left, a dark pocketbook and a pack of cigarettes lay on the pavement. "'The hefty Kip Bosco from Vice appeared behind Phillips's car.' He gnawed on a donut and held a big mama's coffee cup. Okay, you cowboys, rock and roll, said Kip, some of the frosted donuts still in his mustache. Hold it, Kip, said Jones. I need to talk to Phillips. I'm in charge here, coachy. Jones ignored Kip and stepped closer to Phillips. Kevin, Matthias, this is brutal. There's a different blood trail on her arm and back. The slasher may have been cut by his own blade. Phillips raised his brows and peered over Jones' shoulder. You're right. What a shame. I'll be the one grilling you, Stefani and Big Junior, inside, said Kip, finishing the donut. Let's go, cowboys. I don't need you to tell me to go anywhere, Kippy, said Coco. Watch it, Coco, said Kip, pointing, or I'll have to bring you downtown. Yeah, you do that, Kippy said Coco as he lit a cigarette and steered Jones toward the front door. Come on, Jonesy. We don't want to get Fat Boy mad. Prince William Slasher, Chapter 4 St. Bart's Rectory, Prince William, New Hampshire The front room was lit by both floor lamps and a widescreen TV. Jones's stomach remained queasy. He probably would not have signaled for the rectory parking lot had Gallagher been asleep. The night air had cooled and the wind had swung in from the north, pushing back his hair as he moved with his hands in his coat pockets up the front walk. He glanced at the parking lot at the van and shook his head. Jones pushed the tiny doorbell button. The bell was loud enough to be heard through both doors. The porch light brightened the gray clapboards. The orange-haired Gallagher, in a gray bathrobe, dipped his head outward. His blue eyes focused on Jones. Come to take back the basketball passes, Matthias? Jim, I was over at Club Max. Please, come in. I'm just watching the Celtics wrap up. They're playing the Warriors out on the coast. I still can't believe it. Jones moved in the hallway's warmer air. Can I get you a drink? Jones noticed the empty glass on the side table. No, I just need to talk, father. Sit down, Matthias, said Gallagher, motioning him toward the dark leather sofa. He turned down the TV volume. After an awkward silence, Jones cleared his throat. The slasher hit Club Max, Jim. Oh, dear God, said Gallagher, scooping up the glass. In the club itself? Father, that girl Holly was a waitress. Coco introduced me earlier. Almost instantly, Gallagher returned with two glasses. Have the brandy. Thanks. When Coco ran outside, I followed him into the parking lot. She was murdered near the second row of cars. How do you know it was a slasher? Jones sipped the brandy and rolled his tongue over his lips as he nodded. Razor cut to the neck. Duct tape on the mouth. Blood pool on the pavement. And Jen. Gallagher leaned forward. That's awful. Poor girl. My dad used to tell me that even though he'd seen a lot in his career, outright murder had a cold stillness. Now I know what he meant. What did the police say? I talked with Kevin Phillips. He has a lot more on the ball than that big-mouth Bosco. Bosco is on the take. How do you know that, father? What'd they do? Supply him with truckloads of Big Mama's Donuts? Gallagher half smiled. I'm still stunned. When you actually see someone murdered, it's different. She was such a nice girl. Well, you're welcome to stay in one of my spare rooms. I know you're still at the Marlboro in Hamilton. Not a bad idea, Father. Well, that will accomplish two things. You'll get a better night's sleep. What's the other? You'll be at Mass in the morning. Joan sat in a worn oak pew as Gallagher's voice boomed from the pulpit about examining one's conscience. He did not think the homily was directed at him and Club Max, but he wasn't sure. The priest attracted a huge following. In this secular age, the stone-blocked church was full of parishioners. Jones's eyes, even though he had slept seven hours, ached as the sunlight produced a spread of colors through the stained glass on the gray stone walls. In summation, said Gallagher, his words echoing between the stone walls, When you think what you're doing is wrong, it probably is. Jones's head, filled with multiple images of Holly, throat split and tape over her mouth, sprawled dead in the Club Max parking lot. Beautiful harmonic music. Gloria and Excelsis from the choir loft seemed at odds with thoughts of the gruesome discovery. He wanted to know why there was additional blood on Holly's arm and the other side of the dress. His throat tightened. Every time he thought of speaking with her at the table, the motorcycle's driver, fading into the Prince William night bothered him. In some strange cross-tie scenario, he questioned whether Coco's information about Lester Larson being back in New Hampshire was just a rumor. Maybe speaking with the Enterprise owner, Tom McGill, might clarify the enigma called Lester Larson. After church, the St. Bart's Women's Club Pancake Breakfast was held in the parish hall, where Jones had first met Gallagher playing basketball. Besides being stuffed with a variety of pancakes, Jones met and conversed with a dozen or more women from the Women's Club, but he was anxious to get back to Hamilton. Then Aunt May called from Indiana. Don't let a murder shut down your life, is what Bill used to say, said Aunt May. I remember. What is your friend she asked. Forensically, there's a problem for the killer. The razor cut to the neck was evident, but there was blood on the arm and the side of her dress. Phillips has the medical examiner looking at it. You mean the killer might have cut himself on the razor? We'll see. The other thing was the motorcycle. The killer? asked Aunt May. I don't know. Junior saw a gray hooded driver in a trench coat on what he called a motor scooter. Other people just heard the engine. And here's the thing, Aunt May. The other murdered woman had no witnesses, but they were all killed on Saturday nights. You need a physical suspect. There was another murder two years ago in Hamilton. Lady's throat slashed. No duct tape. No gin. Anyway, Father Gallagher was nice enough to let me stay in the rectory. Father's a sports nut and has a parish sports program. Excuse me murder on a Saturday night? I don't know. We'll find out. I'll let you know, Aunt May. You won't tell me anything unless I call. Jones laughed. Well, I guess that's true. Goodbye, Aunt May. Jones veered toward the coffee urn and was ready to travel back to the Marlboro. He was due later today to meet with Hamilton Fletcher and the college trustees. My son plays all sports, said a thin woman at the coffee urn. That's great. It's always good for youngsters to play sports. Oh, yes, he can throw a football 60 yards, she said, her eyes sparkling. 60 feet is pretty good. No, 60 yards. Jones's head snapped to the right. Well, how old is this wonder boy? 17. He Played for St. Barnabas High School. St. Barnabas in the city? asked Jones. Yes. "'Our high school has been in existence for 52 years.' "'Well, that's great,' said Jones, smiling. "'I'd like to see him throw sometime.' "'Oh, Jimmy's here.' "'We can have him come over to the college,' said Jones. "'I'll find Father Jim and we'll get a football.' She started toward Gallagher down the other end as Jones called out. "'What's your name, ma'am?' "'Mary Butterfino,' she called back. "'Butterfino.' Gallagher was heavily engaged with three men in suits. When Mrs. Butterfino spoke up, Gallagher opened his eyes wide and excused himself from the men. Then he opened a side door. Half a minute later, Gallagher spun the football to Jones. Jones gave him the thumbs up. Mrs. Butterfino had entered the parish hall with a dark-haired, lanky six-footer. He had sharp, black eyes. Jimmy, I'm Coach Jones, he said, placing the ball in Jimmy's hands. You can call me Buddha. I like real names, said Jones, thinking of Lark's lexicon of player nicknames. Come outside. Your mother says you can throw 60 yards. I can do that. They retreated into the rectory parking lot. Jones pointed to the far corner near the dumpster. I'm going to go across the lot. You stretch your arm first, and when I give you the signal, throw it to me. Okay, coach. He looked at his nimble mother with a half grin. Jimmy trotted down the sidewalk to the corner of the parish hall. Jones stood near the sidewalk shrubbery on Belfast Street. As Jimmy stretched his arm, Holly's body at Club Max again materialized in Jones' thoughts. For ten minutes, he had forgotten about the slasher. He shook his head as if he could get rid of that ghastly image. Ready, Jimmy? Ready! Jimmy held the ball forward as if he were getting the snap from center. Jones was sure he was at least 70 yards away, but Jimmy even reached the edge of the parking lot. He scrambled back and hurled the ball high into the blue sky. A stunned Jones watched the ball sail over his head and bounce onto Belfast Street. Jones turned as Jimmy jogged back toward him. I told you, coach, said Mrs. Badafino. Where'd you learn to throw like that? asked Jones. I always had a good arm, I guess. You want me to get the ball? Yeah, just don't get hit by a car. Jones slowly smiled as Jimmy hurtled the shrubs. He had the ball in seconds and again scaled the bushes, but this time with the ball under his arms. Then he and Jones started toward the parish hall door. "'What are your grades like?' asked Jones. "'Okay,' said Jimmy. "'Just okay. Grades need to be there, Jimmy. "'I want you to come over at the end of the week. I'll show you the campus.' Jones put his hand on Jimmy's shoulder. "'You bet!' "'Well?' asked Gallagher. "'Very impressive. I'll have him over the college, Mrs. botafino Get some times and accurate measurements. I think he has a great future. Thanks, coach. You haven't assisted a coach yet? asked Gallagher. I want Woozy Williams from Indiana, but I'm afraid Hamilton Fletcher is impatient. <laughs> you know Hamilton. I do. Jones left St. Bart's around noon. He smiled at Gallagher's handwritten map directing him by shortcuts to the road connecting to Hamilton. A smile came to his face as he thought about the dynamic Gallagher at the pancake breakfast. Gallagher's quick wit and directness impressed Jones. He was more genuine than the stuffy Monsignor Nowicki, but he knew that in Jimmy Butterfino he had just found his first recruit. Before he left the city, Jones called Kevin Phillips. Phillips told Jones he had new information and put him on hold as he retrieved his report. I'd like to run this by you, Matthias. Here's what I have. Said Phillips as Jones started the van up the highway over the Devonshire hills. You caught something significant with the arm blood and more on the back. Holly's blood was A. The other blood was O. The killer messed up. We also have prints for the first time on the duct tape. And the tape is not the same tape. It's a little thinner, not as wide. Don't you find that odd, Kevin? More stupid than odd. guy always wore gloves and he pulled the tape off the roll. But on one side of this tape is a pristine set of left-handed fingerprints. Why on one side of the tape? Well, maybe he had the glove off on one hand. I don't know. We'll have more witness statements later today also. Jones shifted as the road angled upward along the rocks. Right, you'd still have to grab the other side of the tape with your other hand, or cut it. But there's one additional fact you're not going to like. What's that? Herbert Lane does not like you. My heart is broken. We all got chewed out from Bermuda because he said Kip Bosco told him you were snooping around the murder scene. I was at Club Max with Holly earlier. I told that to Herbert. Herbert questioned Coco this morning from Bermuda. Kip said that Coco was a suspicious character. Coco was inside Club Max when Holly was murdered. I have statements from 11 people and counting that will verify his presence inside Club Max. We have more outside statements later today, and we'll compare those to what you saw. That's a good idea. Jones reached the Devonshire Crest, and the blue sky widened over the distant hills. The town and college were highlighted in the bright sunshine. To his left in the distance was the Fletcher Estate, the green lawn bordering the house and the woods beyond. One other thing, Kevin. Do I have permission to talk to McGill at the Enterprise? Yeah, that's okay, but leave the Prince and Clayton Morris' blood work out of this. Okay. You should count what you saw and leave me out of it. I don't need Lane busting my chops on this. We don't want Herbert to blow off his toupee in a fit of rage. (laughs) I'd like to see that, said Phillips laughing. I won't mention our conversation. Okay. Look, I know the work you did in Cleveland, Matthias. I know of your father's reputation. I talk with Mark Donovan of the FBI directly. If you come up with something, let me know. Will do. Jones caught sight of the stadium and surrounding buildings outside of town. Although First Parish's white steeple was visible, the town common itself was out of sight. Railroad tracks passed the lumberyard that he assumed belonged to Arnie Dewar's and continued under the bridge near the Colonial House. His phone shook. At first, he just stared. Wondering who had his phone number, then he picked up. Jones heard a blast of wind and car horns. Who is this? A low, slurred voice rattled the speaker. This is Uncle Sam. You like football? Remember the play? I heard of it. You mean Stanford versus USC, 1982, before my time, pal. Are you the slasher? I saw you, Jones. With her. At Club Max. I'm tricky. I had to move upfield. The call ended. Uncle Sam. Four or five lateral passes. Hello? Hello? Jones pulled over to the shoulder near the entrance to some rock quarries. He quickly checked the number. 603-555-0121. The phone line rang again. Jones opened the line. Listen, you murdering son of a bitch. What the hell are you talking about, Jones? Asked Herbert Lane on a scratchy line. I heard you were touchy. The killer. He just called me on the phone. Sure he did. Exactly why I'm calling you. I know you talked to Phillips. I had a few questions, Herbert. No more questions. Stay out of this, Jones to the professionals i'm only trying to help you herbert as you take in the sun you can call me mr district attorney jones's incredulous expression was evident in the mirror he pushed the thumb on the end button mr district dum-dum as the land leveled out a few minutes later near apartments outside of town jones called phillips the line rang, and he was about to hang up when the lieutenant answered. Matthias Herbert just contacted my office, and he was going to call you. He did. I tried to tell him the killer just called me. He never mentioned that. Phillips's voice sounded tense. How do you know it was the killer? 603-555-0121. We'll check that out right now. Thanks. The caller referred to the play. 1982, football championship between USC and Stanford. One of the weirdest kickoff returns of all time. Five pass laterals, and they ran it into the end zone to win the game. Why would the slasher bring this up? asked yes, Phillips. I don't know. Obviously, he saw me inside Club Max with Holly last night. Somehow, he's linked me with murdering Holly. That makes no sense. He called himself Uncle Sam tell Wayne this? He refused to talk about it. Wow, John Tully is checking that number. Fine with me. What does the play mean? Asked Phillips. It's one of those miracle plays It looks as though they've practiced it for years. No rhyme or reason. Okay, we'll check this out, Matthias. Thanks, Kevin, and say hello to Mr. District Dum Dum. Phillips broke into a lap. How are you, Prince William Slasher is the second book in the Jones series where Jones actually begins living in Hamilton. He fires Lark's assistant coach, Froggy Finley, and then meets Matt Connor, a coach from another school who will become a lifelong friend. Then a murder in Hamilton from two years ago begins gnawing at Jones' suspicious mind. For the first time, Jones shows up at Coco's Club Max in the city of Prince William. Father Gallagher had warned him about going to the club. Jones is stunned when the slasher strikes Holly, one of Coco's girls. In church the next morning, Jones still has the images of Holly dead in the parking lot in his head. There was a motorcycle vanishing in the night, which bothers Jones, as does the rumor of crazy Lester Larson being back in the area. Could he be the slasher? And then Jones gets a call from the slasher, now that the slasher has impacted Jones directly, he is drawn into finding the identity of the killer. I'm Robert P. Fitton at the Prince William Airport, ready to board the plane and head back to Cape Cod. tally All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle and Audio at www.fittinbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks
1: separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.